When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I've never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Cups up, everybody. Cups up. Cups up. Let's start the show. <laughs> yeah. So, you guys, it's been a year. And I don't just mean like a year as in like a lot happened, but it's been a year since we went official with COJ. Uh, so, congratulations and happy anniversary to both of you. Mandy, you reminded me uh, and some people online reminded me that when we debuted, we were ahead. We debuted at number one nationally, which is no small feat. And we debuted two slots above Jason and Travis Kelsey, my boyfriends, um, who I, I remember you explaining to me who they were then. I had no idea who they were. <laughs> And now they're like number one in the world. Like they're number one everywhere. Yeah, they're every. Yeah, they, they will not be beat. <laughs> and that's okay. They have a great podcast, though. And nor should they. Yeah. They're, they're good people. They're really good people. And also, I just remember at the time of being like, whoa, they're both going to be in the Super Bowl next week. And we're ahead of them. That's amazing because Philly and Casey were in the Super Bowl last year. And I think their podcast, I don't know how old it is. I feel like it debuted around the same time, right? Yeah. As of now, a fan of theirs and the fan of their show, I do have some insight into that. So yeah, they did. They're, they're fairly new. They are so good at podcasting and that's a difficult thing to do. Like they're engaging, they're funny, they talk about things that not every like they obviously have a niche audience with football and, and now with the Swifties, but they talk about things in a way that like engages and entertains a huge audience. And they're football players like football athletes are not used to that type of entertainment and that type of uh, having that kind of talent. And it's extremely impressive. And also, I'm just really sick of people being incredibly jealous of their success. And I'm all for it. I hope the Kelsey's get a reality TV show. I will watch it every week i hope i love seeing all the sponsorships that the kelsey family is getting like every time i open up instagram mama kelsey's like got a new here's a ziploc bag <laughs> i'm like you go girl you're doing great she's a ziploc ambassador mandy <laughs> yeah, it's great. i'm like jason stole the pro bowl this weekend the pro bowl was yes. on and jason you know with all of his outfits stole it i mean he's just He's an everyday man. You know, you, you could see him just drinking at a corner bar or stopping his car and playing a pickup basketball game. And, you know, certainly last night, Taylor Swift just stole the show at the Grammys and Travis wasn't there, which was sad. I mean, he, you know, he's preparing for the Super Bowl and, uh, you know, somebody's going to say, well, he should have been there or whatever. I mean, she's making sacrifices, obviously, to go to all of his games and come back from Tokyo. But they're trying to make it work, and it's good. It's good for football. It's good for society. It's good for the NFL. You know, podcasting of football players is is a new thing. I mean, the Kelseys are doing it. Uh, Micah Parsons, the middle linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys, has a very popular one. And, uh, you know, I like to think that they're kind of doing it because we were doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
That's definitely what it was, Eric. You made podcasting cool. That's, okay. that's definitely it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm for one, I'm glad that she didn't, I'm glad that he didn't go to the Grammys because they would have blamed her if he dropped a pass or did, right. or the Chiefs didn't win the, anything that could have possibly have gone wrong in the Super Bowl, they will blame Taylor Swift for, which I'm getting really annoyed at. The point is we've been on for a year. We've had, you know, obviously good, I would say great success, but you would say good, some could say good success. I think our podcast has educated uh, a lot of the people who listen to us regularly. I think we've had an impact. Certainly there's a lot of judges that listen to it. Uh, politicians listen to it. You know, whether I say something positive or negative, I know it's getting to people because I'll hear from them to say, hey, you shouldn't have listened to it. I think I've learned so much from you guys about how to speak in front of a camera, which I, you know, was a new phenomenon uh, with the start of this. And, you know, the voice you have to have and, and, you know, how to interact with you guys when you're speaking or we disagree. And I think the future is bright for us. Um, we're very grateful for our audience. And uh, I'm great. As I said, I'm really grateful for you too. Thank you, Eric. I feel the same. Speaking of our audience, um, just a little bragging point, because I think that this week I truly began to understand the size or the, the amount of our reach. Even though I know there are a lot of people out there listening and just um, can picture it sometimes, it didn't really occur to me just the power of our words, just what that impact looked like. So I'm really now more grateful than ever for it. And it really feels like uh, we have people who have our backs. And um, I, I just want to say thank you to the people who do have our backs out there. And it just it's it's just a nice thing. I didn't ever let it resonate with me before just because there's been so much going on. But this is our first week really without having Murdoch breaking news, like Murdoch constantly, like us constantly feeling like if we don't speak up, if we don't get on the phone with sources, if we don't, you know, think hard about this and make connections that Alec is going to get away with something. And this past week, we didn't have to spend the week doing that. I don't know. Did you guys feel that? Like I could, I could really feel that, that it just, I didn't have to spend every day thinking about this person and what, what tricks, even though we know it's not fully over. It just felt good. It felt to really nice to have that. For me, it felt like um, processing where Team Myrtle is right now. Not so much Alex, but where Dick and Jim are and, and the spin machine that is now working about, oh, we're so excited about our appeal and what's next for them. And, you know, you sent an email to uh, Mandy and me about, well, it doesn't look like their plan that they've hatched last spring is going to bear any fruit. And so what's their next move? So I, when I was out West, I was thinking, okay, what's their next move? Is there a move anymore? Are they almost checkmated? You know, I wanted to talk to hear from you guys, whether you think they're checkmated or they're losing at the chess match, but they still may have a couple moves that we don't see. What do you think, Mandy? I'm really tired of people saying, oh, they're playing chess. Uh, this is checkers. Da, da, da. No. We've seen it enough. They've lost and lost and lost and lost. And they wanted to win this month really, really badly. This month was their big chance and they blew it. And instead of admitting that they blew it, they, they've done what they've always done. They changed the narrative. They say, we didn't really mean to blow it. Uh, we're just setting it up for the big appeal. It's really hard to get a murder conviction overturned in the appeals court. Am I right about that, Eric? Like, people are acting. It, it, it's less than it's less than two percent under the best of circumstances. In Alex's, those odds even produce another fifty percent. But let me get this straight: you would rather win down the road six, seven years from now in federal court, and all that time, Alex is going to be a murderer in jail, a convicted murderer with all the repercussions of being a child killer, rather than you winning this motion and possibly getting a trial next fall. So your, your strategy is, I don't want the trial now closer to possibly win it so he could be a not guilty murderer and only a financial crime convicted person. You'd rather wait six or seven years down the road? Come on, man. It's funny. Uh, you know, I think in our last episode, I was grateful that so many people liked it because I felt like I 
was just existing on adrenaline at that point. I couldn't form my thoughts clearly. But in looking over this past week at people's reaction and watching the people sort of trying to save face, we have to remember that a good deal of media, you know, not necessarily stake their careers on their their prediction, but certainly are trying to double down on that because they want people to uh, believe that it's still in play, um, that Justice Toll was a good pick for the defense and um, it's bearing fruit now because Justice Toll has preserved the record seemingly, I guess, from their perspective in Ellick's favor down the road, just because she did acknowledge that Becky Hill uh, wasn't completely credible and that Becky Hill did speak to one or more jurors out of turn, though she did downplay those comments by, by calling them fleeting and foolish. They do, they're holding on to that. I can just see them holding on to that so tightly. But can you imagine, um, let's look at the opposite. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Liz. Are you, what? you are positing that they knew they were going to lose yes. and they're happy that there's an appellate yes. record? No, I'm not positing. I'm not positing that, Eric. That's what they said during the press conference. That's what they indicated. They're nuts. Dick Harpootlian thought he, I know from many sources that Dick Harpootlian told people inside the state house and throughout the judicial community since August, they were going to win this motion. Yes. Thank you for saying that because that is exactly what we are hearing. They, he thought they had it. Yes. But then in the press conference, they were like, this is exactly we knew going in that this was going to be and we're doing. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that we have to talk about that press conference in a little bit, but because it was it's something, especially if you watch it more than once. Yeah. So so what? What do you want? That's what Dick started off with. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And then it, it was almost like a press conference of like a basketball team or something after they lost and they came out and were like, yeah, well, we did that on purpose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, what? So we could shake ourselves up. Well, they're, they're, they're yeah. saying that because had the state. So let's look at it from this perspective. If the state had won their state or if the state had, I'm sorry, if the defense had won, the state would have appealed is, the, is their argument, right? So this would have been caught up in appellate court no matter what. But like you said, Eric, we know that's not what they were saying behind the scenes. We know that they were saying basically that this was a sure thing. But I will say they knew they lost at the status conference, right? I mean, they, they knew that. They needed the law to be completely interpreted the way they saw it in order for them to get any traction on this. But let's look at that. Let's say, okay, had Dick and Jim, had they won their motion, what would we be looking at? Like, what would we be talking about today, right? What would their next move have been? Wouldn't it have been trying to get Alec out on bond again in some way? Wouldn't like what what could they have done? Well, he could. Well, because of the 27 years, that's right. Right, right. But they they would have tried to have a bond set, you're right, but that what they would have done is Dick probably would have asked for another speedy trial. And I'm not sure he would have, you know, invoked his legislative immunity. They would try to get it on the docket as quick as possible. And remember, Dick said, oh, no, we can't do the financial crimes until way into 2024 next fall. But somehow he would speed up the murder trial. He, no, I mean, this is just it's it's irresponsible for for these newspaper journalists to go there and say, oh, this is a good thing for the defense. They got it wrong, as did a lot of other journalists. You guys didn't get it wrong, and you're getting no credit for getting it right. Well, that's not true. Our, our listeners have given us a lot of credit. Our listeners realize it, and our listeners are... Ex that's, that's a lot of credit. <laughs> right. And I throughout last Monday, I was getting a lot of messages from our listeners saying, like, I just turned into court TV, just turned into whatever... And they were like, everybody else is saying that this is a guarantee that they're absolutely going to get a new trial. And you guys are the only ones saying that they're not. Like, what is going on here? I also think that people, uh, the journalists who were fooled by Dick Harputlian refused to rec recognize that they were played and fooled. And so they just doubled down and doubled down and like, a perfect example, I don't know if y'all saw the Washington Post yesterday, but old Kathleen Parker <laughs> in the Washington Post Jeez, Louise. had another column, very pro-Murdoch, um, about the hearing. And Kathleen lives in Columbia, South Carolina, and it's very well known that she is friends with Dick and Jim. She doesn't say that in her columns ever, but it's well known. I saw her court there. 
she was there. Yeah, she's she's very chummy with the elite of Colombia. And which I'm not. She's <laughs> I wouldn't want to be. Kidding. Yeah. No kidding. Who wants to be? But <laughs> she said that jury tampering did happen, which is a weird thing for her to say. And she also said that this part really bothered me. She said, listen, no one besides the defense wanted the wanted another trial for Alex Murdoch to happen. And that's when I was reading it and like wanted to throw my phone and just lose it because it's like you are lying. You are lying right now. Look around you. The whole press is hungry for another trial. They are foaming at the mouth to get another Murdoch trial. They don't care what it means to the system. This isn't their system. They don't care. Like, uh, don't tell me that nobody else wants this. They want it. And they wanted it. So they had already named it, Mandy, the retrial of the century. One of my closest friends, uh, Rob Lapine, calls me Monday night and says, hey, I just heard the ruling. I'm really sorry. You lost. I said, what? What do you mean? He said, oh, you're going to be upset because now there's not going to be another trial. You won't get to do more talk about the Alex. I said, Rob, have you been listening for a year or since August? We've been saying we don't want another trial. We think justice was done. It's not good for South Carolina. It's not good for the legal system. And quite frankly, I don't want to live anymore with Alex Myrtle in my life. Same. I, do people not listen? Right. Well, my thing, like Liz, you were saying, do we, do you feel a big difference? And it's weird, but like so many times I've like gone into a panic in the last six months because I've just started to go through like how many charges does he have left after that? Like, okay, if the murder, if the murder charges are actually dropped, where do we sit there? And just picturing down the line of like 10, 20 years of the possibility of Alex getting out and then starting to panic about that, like... That is a real thing that we all were going through for the last six months. And and the victims, all of the victims of Alex Murdoch, the many people who have stood up against him, they didn't want this overturned at all. Like it would have just caused so much unnecessary panic and grief for so many people. And for what? And the other thing is that like, Alex has is no further along proving who proving his innocence than he was a year ago. They've made zero headway with that. According to Dick, they're real close. They're real close. Let's talk about that in a second. We'll be right back. Want to temporarily restore definition in your jawline where it's been lost over time? With Juvederm Volux XC, you can get a non-surgical jawline treatment that adds volume for a smooth contour and to reduce the appearance of jowls in one in-office treatment with little downtime. Juvederm Volux XC injectable gel is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injections like redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people who had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
So Eric, do you think that there's any chance that they actually were, like they've actually done any work in looking for the quote unquote real killer? No, absolutely not. All it is, is just self-aggrandizement by Dick to stay relevant, to say that he's got the secret and you're going to have to wait for me to when I'm going to deliver it. Look, originally it was Cousin Eddie. Then somehow it turned to the uh, the farm worker who was there when Gloria Satterfield was killed, the, you know, one of the farm workers. There, there's nobody. Listen, guys, don't you think that somebody would be brokering that information to the FBI to say, look, here, I got this information. I can give it to you. What are you going to give me in return? Remember, two people can't keep a secret forever. So, so there had to have been, over the last two years, some clue. Somebody said something. There's nothing, guys. The reason is they got the guy. And they got the guy because you can look in his eyes and know it. He doesn't sit there screaming, I'm innocent. He doesn't look like I'm innocent. Let me tell you something, guys. If I was innocent and didn't kill my wife and kid, I would have stood up and screamed, I am innocent. I don't belong in jail. But he doesn't ever look like that. He walks in the court. He's skipping around. He's shaking hands. Listen, you would be screaming if you were innocent. Signing documents, too. Did you guys notice he was signing all those documents at the beginning of the hearing with Holly, the Dick's yeah. paralegal? Yeah. What is that? Is that more transferring of things? And I guess maybe for him to get permission to get documents given to him. Look, I've looked into that guy's eyes for a long time at these hearings now. He is a dark guy. And let me tell you something. He is hearing about our podcast. He knows a lot about what we are saying. Either he's listening, somebody's listening or feeding it to him. Look, Dick knows what we're saying. Everybody has their little spies listening to our podcast. Why? Because they want to know what we're going to say because it's important. That's scary stuff. And no, I don't want Alex Murdoch coming out. He's going to harbor a hell of a lot of ill will towards us three over the next 10 years. Don't kid yourself. He probably doesn't know Maryland is a state, though, to be fair. I mean, they, I think anything outside of South Carolina and the Caribbean, he's not real keen on. <laughs> so he wouldn't even know how to get here. I think Mandy I'm okay. and I aren't, but you're fine. <laughs> Mandy and I and David aren't. Yeah. Fine. You're okay. Yeah, you'll be good. Right. So I think one thing we should mention, though, is not just like you can tell by looking at Alec that he's guilty. It's it's more the evidence was clear. And Judge Justice Toll pointed that out, as, as did Judge Newman. But I also want to mention that in their press conference, they didn't just bring up like Dick wasn't bringing up the murder investigation to be like, by the way, I've made some headway. And here's where. We're... No, it was a reporter holding him accountable to him saying that earlier. So thank you to that reporter, whoever that was that asked that question because it put him on the spot. So of course, he's going to make it look like, you know, get the little glint in his eye and there's something going on there. Did you two notice that Jim Griffin seemed to be personally hurt by uh, people making fun of the fact that their theory on Becky wanting to tamper with the jury was that she wanted fame and fortune? It seemed to me of all the things that was where his vindication was on Monday. He, he got a little bit of vindication from that. Yeah. And what an odd thing to focus on. <laughs> right. Don't focus on the real meat of it, which is that the jurors looked you in the eye and said, this is my verdict. They resoundingly rejected Dick Harputlin and Jim Griffin. They said, this is my verdict. Sure. He had juror Z. She was, you know, vacillating, as Judge uh, Justice Toll said. But she had 11 jurors looked them in the eye, looked Alex in the eye and said, that's my verdict. Yeah, that's why it was funny that he glommed onto that because it showed that like, it, it almost made me think like, did, was Jim aware of the ridiculousness of that uh, theory and is just now celebrating that somebody validated it in some way by saying that Becky was answering the siren call of celebrity. You know, it's, it's, it's just like in his mind, he was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. They said she saw it too. She, because it really was. I mean, I know that Becky likely made a lot of those comments, right? You know, about wanting to write a book, about wanting to get a lake house or whatever. And those are comments like, I, I agree with Toll, were fleeting and foolish. They're just a small town clerk thinking about the big city, not never having been there, never having been, uh, it appears, anywhere. Um, you know, it was exciting to her. And we've said this a lot. Uh, this this was so exciting to her. So those you have to look at, like, can you assign meaning to those comments? Because she wasn't sitting there plotting out, if I don't get this, then th this is just, this is somebody who 
can't spell certain words having this theory that, you know, you need a guilty verdict to sell books or whatever. Like, it's not somebody who you can put a lot of weight on what she thought was going to come after the trial, you know? And that's what was so ridiculous about it. And that's obviously what Jim wasn't understanding what we were making fun of him for. Uh, we were never saying that, like, she wasn't attracted by the siren call of celebrity. Like, we've said that all along. We've noticed this time and time again. It really, attention really changes people. And the opportunity to get attention really changes people. And it makes them do really weird things. And Becky was definitely swept up. We all saw it. But that's different from, her writing out a list that's like step one get a guilty verdict <laughs> and right step and and do and manipulate all the jurors into voting guilty uh that's where we were like no that didn't happen yeah she wanted a book and maybe she was convinced that her book would have sold more if it was a guilty verdict um I honestly, I don't know who told her that because that it would have been a much better book if it was a hung jury. Right. For sure. Because then you talk about the evidence and how could they not see it? And what was going on behind the scenes and what, like, yeah, I mean, that would have been an interesting verdict for her perspective. But it, I thought it was just, it was just sad again, and not even sad. It was pathetic of Dick and Jim to be like, oh, we're validated because she also said that Becky wanted to be a celebrity. And it's like, we've all known that. Who cares? Yeah. And we were calling it popular. Like she wanted to be in the popular crowd. And that was pretty obvious just from when we were there, um, who she was appealing to. Yeah. But again, you know, they wanted to win this motion. They didn't want to lose this motion. And, you know, we talked about it from an appellate standpoint. There's not going to be a rush for this appeal for justices to do this. They're, if they do, sooner or later, people are going to say, no, wait a minute. What about all these other people that have their cases up on appeal? And I don't think I think Alex has gotten his last court uh, favor on having his matter pushed to the forefront. And I think, you know, the more. Dick says the stuff that he says, I think more judges are going to say, you know what? I've had enough of Harpootlian too. He could be on the Judiciary Committee, but so what? So, Eric, one of the uh, accusations that's floating out there right now by people who don't know better um, is that the fix was in, that the state wanted to preserve, like, like the, the courts were motivated to protect the verdict because of, you know, not wanting to disrupt the system or um, not wanting to have egg on their face or what have you. What are your thoughts on that? Just this idea that um, Justice Toll went in with a... Um, an idea of what she was going to do, because we did see that, you know, when she came out, she obviously had pre-written some of her order, though much of it was easy. I'm going to say this, Mandy and I, if we were working in um, a daily news uh, organization at the time of the hearing last week, we would have had two stories written um, or two beginnings to a story. Like as journalists, we would have anticipated what the outcomes were. And we would have had stories prepared so that we could be the first to have it published. So we would just leave X's where details go and we would update the first paragraph. We would have a quote in the second paragraph. We'd hit publish and then we would continue to update the story. And we'd have a little editor's note at the top saying this story is going to continue to be updated. Like we would be prepared and it would look like to the outsider probably that we knew what the outcome was going to be or that we're really quick writers. But the truth is there's a lot of what we call B matter, which can be written ahead of time. So it felt like a lot of what Justice Toll had on her order was B matter, stuff that could be written ahead of time, and then she filled in the blanks with what her decision was. You are 100% correct, and because she went in chronological sequential order. She started with the status conference. She started with the telephone calls. She started with what we were going to do in this hearing. She then went to Juror X on Friday, and then she went through Juror Z, and then she just went down. And so... I know for a fact that when she would take breaks, she would immediately run back to her uh, office and she wasn't on the phone. She was working. Okay. That's a working judge. The fix. Are you saying the fix? Look, there's no question that our court system wants to preserve jury verdicts. It's not a good thing that 
you overturn jury verdicts. We have a jury system. You get a jury by your peers. Certainly, they wanted to preserve Judge Newman's legacy, not necessarily the verdict, but his legacy. He had to recuse himself. Whether they wanted to make sure they appointed a judge who was going to vote against Alex Merle, I do not believe in that. I believe that she is a senior judge who would have faced less backlash as opposed to a sitting everyday circuit court judge. So I think it was given to Justice Toll because she was a senior judge. And if she was to rule in Alex Murdoch's favor, she would take the heat. She's a judge that you saw can take the heat. So she wouldn't care what anybody said. But another sitting judge, that's a different story. So I think she was picked because she was a senior judge, not because she was going to give a prefixed result. How about you, Mandy? What are your thoughts on that when you hear people say like the fix was in? Because how are they saying on the one hand, the fix is in? And on the other hand, they're saying this is what Dick and Jim wanted. I feel like the same people who say the first thing are saying the second thing. Right. And there are, and it's also the same people that were predicting that he was going to get a new trial. And it's like, OK, well, if the fix was in, then you'd think that the one person that would be in charge of the fix um, would have been in on that. And... <laughs> So that, I mean, they, they're just talking in circles and it's really frustrating to see and to watch and to see people that like I used to think were smart. And now it's like, what in the world? What are you even thinking? Like, how are Dick and Jim, how do they have this hold over you so much that you're literally talking in circles? And with journalists, it's like, I, I've been really disappointed in a lot of journalists because they don't even care about their own reputations anymore. Like, they are so on Dick and Jim's side that they don't care that it further, I mean, we're, we have a really big problem right now with the public not trusting journalists and the, the public's trust in journalists eroding further and further every year and getting worse and worse. And the way that I've watched these journalists operate, it's like, oh my gosh, you don't care if anybody trusts you. You're just going to keep writing what they want you to. And I, I don't get that at all. So what is the board left? What is the board? Is there a board anymore for Dick and Jim and Alex? Is there a board that they're playing on? Or whatever the public thought that these Svengalis were working on since last April, is there a board left? Or was there never a board? I think it's a twister board, um, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're playing twister, not checkers or chess. They are, <laughs> I love that. They are spinning the card and they're like, Foot on red. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say something a little bit about the journalism a part of this because, um, and Mandy can attest to this, when we're reporting on a story, particularly one like the Murdoch story, where there's just so much uh, misinformation out there, when you're ta talking to a source who says what you're just excited to hear because it's affirmation of what you, you know, might have put together in your head, you still go that second step to find out if, if this person's part of that echo chamber, right? So even though they don't necessarily have to tell you where they're hearing it, depending on your relationship with that source, uh, you do want to get down to that so that you can understand that this person is saying it independently of maybe you putting that idea out there and asking other people, and then a game of telephone happens and sources are talking to sources and, and it just comes back to you that way. So you always want to be careful of that. And then the other thing is even when you're you can't say why you know something or who sent something to you 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 still I've, I've engaged in conversations with people like okay are we is your source somebody that got their law degree like we're just trying to like make sure that we had different sources saying this and do those two sources know each other without saying who those people are if that makes sense right it's been so interesting to me that um there's this been this such an echo chamber within the media and it's not all media there there certainly have been great reporters on this who who have stepped to the side and stayed out of the fray but among the key ones i think who are as we say carrying water um or advocating for dick and jim without maybe even understanding that that's what they're doing uh that echo chamber i've seen it repeat itself. And I think we talked about this before where they will say, well, this has been widely known. This has been widely known. And it's like, how is it what, like you have to look at the people that you're having conversation with during the breaks. And are those people getting the same information that you're getting from the same people? And I don't know that there's that critical thinking happening. And then the second thing I want to say about journalism is that I have been 
so disappointed in Kathleen Parker. Uh, I was an opinion columnist for a very long time, and she was somebody who I looked up to, uh, didn't always agree with her, but I always liked her reasoning. I liked her light tone. I, I loved her use of language, and I had just seen that fall apart. And so in this, in this past year, I have lost maybe a hero of mine, like right up there with Maureen Dowd, um, somebody that I held in just such high esteem. When I met her for the first time at the courthouse, I, I just was so excited to meet her that I think I probably came off as um, a little off-putting but um, because I was so effusive. But So was I, by the way, at the trial. I met her at the trial. Yeah. I just, I mean, I wanted Kathleen's part. I, I wanted her life. I wanted to work for the Washington Post and, and live where I want. And, you know, that just, <laughs> that just was my, my goal for so long. And I... I just, I'm just so profoundly disappointed in her because I think that when we're talking back about the echo chamber, and that's, this isn't to say like, obviously she can have an opinion that differs from ours. We're not, not saying she can't, but, um, the foundation of her opinion I find is so flawed. And so that's, that's where my disappointment lies. Um, and I think that she has become, and maybe has always been, and I just didn't see it just shoulder to shoulder with maybe some of the wrong people here. And I think I, th uh, and I'm with you. Um, I really wanted to be a columnist and a, an opinion journalist. I was a columnist in college for my college newspaper. And there really weren't a lot of female voices in her space. Uh, to that on that level um, most columnists were males when I was in college and Kathleen Parker I've also looked up to her for a long time and it's just been another uh, emperor has no clothes situation kind of like you 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 actually see what they're doing and you peel the layers back and you're like oh that's really not something that I want to look up to. And it's not the kind of work that I ever want to do. Um, I think my biggest problem with it is she never, um, she's never honest about where she's getting her, her viewpoint from. She's never honest that like, she moves in these circles. That's what, what bothers me. She moves yeah, she's a part of these circles, right? And to the rest of the country, it looks like most people don't even know that she lives in Colombia. So, like, it looks like she's this outsider that's just been interested in this Murdoch thing and comes in to chime in. It's like, no, um, she's a part of this machine in a lot of ways. And it's just, it's incredibly disappointing. Well, you know, you see Dick, um, for instance, and you ask, okay, how can they these reporters still, you know, fish in his pond all the time. The reason is like last week. I mean, Biden was in town and they showed a picture and who's sitting there two seats down from Biden next to Clyburn is Dick Harputley. And so they feel like that they got to be close to him because he, he must still be that power broker. Well, I think politically he's a power broker, but he is dangerously close to becoming irrelevant as a go-to lawyer or a big-time lawyer that when he talks, you should listen because, you know, he's talked like he has a paper mache you-know-what um, so many times. So as a politician, yes, he's close to Biden and, and he's close to the power of the Democratic Party. But as a lawyer anymore, I think a lot of people are starting to see that emperor, like you said, without clothes on. Um, and they're hitching their wagon to Dick, and maybe they're hitching their wagon because they see he's a politician more than a lawyer. I want to talk about that in a minute, um, but Eric, we will be right back. As y'all know, we're out on the West Coast connecting with fans, meeting with partners, and having a little fun too. All the planes, trains, and automobiles can be stressful, but do you know what's going to keep me comfy and confident along the way? You guessed it, Viore. And Viore makes a fantastic gift for the people in your life who deserve the most comfortable and versatile clothing. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viori.com slash COJ. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash COJ. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viori.com slash COJ and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. 
Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. It has done wonders for our seasonal allergies. We recently started feeling the effects of spring. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, sinus congestion, and pressure with ease. Ready to live life as if you don't have any allergies? It is time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. Uh, I think I forgot to tell you guys this, and uh, I'm going to make sure I can say it on air, but do you, do you guys know that there's uh, going to be somebody running against Dick in the primary? Somebody good. I had heard that. I had heard that. I didn't hear that it was somebody good. I just heard that um, he was going to have an opponent. Who is it? I really don't know. Um... <laughs> Somebody good? Somebody good. In the primary. In the primary. So who would be who would that be? I don't know. It would, um it's a man. It would have to be a Democrat that has a name. It would really, really bother me if Dick Harpulian was elected again in South Carolina. Like that would just kind of crush my soul. And I know that he also is a separate person, kind of. Uh, I know that he's done good things on the Senate, some good things, but I have to admit that. And I've, I get crap for this a lot. People say you have personal, you personally just don't like him and that clouds your judgment against him. Well, I think it's, I think he's a terrible person and I don't think that we should have terrible people representing us in the state house. I think that he represents a lot of bad blood that has been around for way too long and he is a part of a powerhouse that I do not agree with. And I think him being voted out of office would be a significant thing for South Carolina. And him not having the power politically, like you were talking about, Eric, uh, his power has definitely dwindled within the courtroom. I mean, we've all seen it. He, If he had magic before, he doesn't have it anymore. But for him not to have those state house connections and to not have those uh, that that power as a state senator, that could be a really big change. And I would be happy to see it, depending on who runs against him. But, you know, don't lose sight of the fact that you started this, Mandy, not because you wanted to become a superstar. You started this to change the system. That's what you two did. If you read if anybody reads your book or they listen to you guys from the start, you felt that this system need changing the 14th judicial circuit, starting with Myrtle and and what's going on in the solicitor's office with Duffy Stone on different cases and the judges, Judge Mullen and and uh, Judge Buckner and everybody down there. It started with that. And then, you know, you've started to really examine not only the court system and the legal system, but our political system. That's what you wanted to do. You were an outsider who didn't have the the connections and the relationships that would prevent you from doing what you've done. You being an outsider let you do what you wanted to do. Yes, it was dangerous. It was career reckoning if it didn't work. But that's been your whole goal is to change the system. So it makes natural sense when you say, I don't want Dick Harpootlian to be elected. And people say, well, it's because you have animus towards him. Yeah, I do. But it's the right kind of animus. It's good trouble, as John Lewis used to say. I'm doing good trouble. Right. I don't like bad people. And I don't want bad people representing the state of South Carolina any longer. And I'm tired of that. And I'm tired of people saying, well, Dick's just going to be Dick. And blah, blah, blah. And did you guys notice how much reporters, again, laughed with him last week? Um, not only in his press conference, but in court. In court. Uh, and every time I just get a sick feeling in my stomach, like they're still doing it. They still don't get it. Uh, it's just representative to me of litter. They're laughing along with them. It's just so indulgent. I, I hate it. Let's talk about Stephen for a second. Liz, 
We are going to be digging back into the Stephen Smith case this week. How do you feel? We are. I feel good. I'm I'm really happy. And, you know, sort of looking into the Stephen Smith case again is kind of the same way I feel about maybe like doing taxes in the sense that like there's so much that I put off. And so we have like a year of two years, really, of conversations, tips, um, you know, hearing their research that we've done, um, uh, Things that we've read, you know, lies that we've seen, mischaracterizations that have been out there. And now going back and like you have this pile of paper in front of you where you're like, if only I had been keeping up on this every month, it would be much easier because it's very frustrating to look back and say, I mean, it's, it's it, there's something satisfying about being like, oh, that's right. This connects to that. And, and now I know better. Now I have a, a better vantage point for that. So I'm excited about that part. But there's just been so much. And um, and now it's time for us to really put our focus and and. I think that this is why it's just so great that he was not granted a new trial because we don't have to constantly be like this, waiting for the breaking, waiting for the next thing that Dick and Jim file um, constantly. So I'm, I'm happy about that. I also think it's going to give accountability to SLED and Chief Keel, um, who had at their in their quiver to be able to say, look, you know, our manpower is being deployed again by Myrtle's machinations. And we got diverted away from the Stephen Smith investigation because we had to do all, you know, devote the manpower for interviewing jurors and collecting information. Look, I, I wrote, um, uh, Chief Keel this, this week, uh, already for another update. Not, I, I will tell you, I am frustrated. Um, it, it pains me to see Sandy Smith sitting uh, in Alex Murdoch's hearings. And she was there uh, on the 15th and she was there this this past week. She deserves answers. And I am really growing frustrated that I, I'm starting to get down and think this has gone on for a year since uh, they announced it was almost in March that the, he, his death was by a homicide. And um, we have a reward out there. And I'm really upset with SLED that we're not getting more progress. Although I'm not going to say that they're not working on it. I'm just, you know, I'm upset. Well, let's be clear. The entire, it looked like the entirety of the Murdoch cases, SLED agents were in the courtroom uh, this past week, last week. So, I wonder, you know, I want to give them a little bit of grace just because of I know what it's been like from our perspective when we have much more heart in it than they do and much more um, we're much more, I think, hard on ourselves maybe about not having that focus that we need to have on it. And so I think that, again, Alec, you know, some people have said to me, do you think that Alec uh, and Dick and Jim create such bluster to keep sled agents away from um the Stephen Smith case. And I obviously don't know the answer to that, but those are the kinds of things that that we hear. So SLED now should have the time to handle this case. And I think Sandy sitting there isn't just, uh, you know, an important message to um, SLED, but it's an important message to those who, who know what happened. Um, you might think that, I mean, if you've lived in any sort of stress over the past two years that the secrets might come out, get ready because it's going to be worse for you. Yeah. And I think that finally we're going to have the mental space um, that we just did not have last year. Liz and I operate very similarly where we just don't want to open another box until the first one's closed. And the that Murdoch box would never close last year and it was just in but Stephen is something so close to our hearts and that just lingers on our in our minds every single day and we want to we want to know what happened and we're going to do everything that we can and that's all that we can do and we're going to keep making noise about it we are going to keep talking about it um and we really uh, no more excuses of Stephen being shoved to the side. Um, it's time to have honest conversations with sources and find out what happened. Well, what about um, the fact that we still have a hanging Chad, a couple of them, one, the 
Labor Day shooting with Alex. Do you ever think that'll be tried? And then also Judge Gergel's sentencing in federal court coming up. And Liz, you told me this morning that the pre-sentence report is done, which we hadn't heard, and that lo and behold, uh, Alex is objecting to it. What could he be objecting to? He pled guilty to every single charge. What He's not just objecting to it. He needs 30 more days to uh, be able to object to it um, because he says that he hasn't uh, received the report yet and in, in the prison mail system. But um, I, you know, I would question whether or not um, that report was available maybe last week and whether he was handed it in the courtroom there. So I would want to know the answer to that if I were the U.S. attorney working on this case, though I suppose it doesn't matter. Um, so I guess in March or April, we will be, well, in March, we'll be getting, March 6th, I believe, is the date when we'll be getting there. If, if Judge Gergel grants them that um, uh, extra time, we'll be hearing what their objections to the PC, PSR is. And unfortunately, that's the only way we'll know what was in the PSR, right? It's their objections to it so that they might even try to, you know, get that sealed. And I hope Judge Gergel uh doesn't do that. I hope he keeps, yeah, I hope he keeps that open. It's important. What about the Labor Day shooting trial? You think we'll ever see anything about that or Cousin Eddie? Are they just going to let that hang? What are your thoughts on that? So Jerry Rivers is set to be sentenced next week, next Monday. He is one of the so-called co-conspirators in um, all of this. And um, we're still waiting to find out all of what? The drug trafficking uh, that Alec supposedly was, he was charged with drug trafficking, Alec was, but that was dropped as part of his plea deal, which is really irritating because right. the Labor Day shooting, uh, we just, you know, Mandy has said from the beginning, those are not strong charges. Um, they fall apart really easily once you start to look at um, exactly what he is accused of doing because you can't really have insurance fraud if you didn't actually commit insurance fraud. And you can't have insurance fraud if you didn't have an insurance policy. Um, so that is the other sticking point there. Um, beyond that, so what are you left with? You're left with um, a false report to police, and that's a misdemeanor. So what about discharging a weapon on a public highway? Is that is there a crime with that? Yeah, yeah, that would be Eddie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Eddie will probably face more than I mean, unless I don't I mean, I saw that his lawyer said that she is upset, you know, that he hasn't gotten due process in this. And she's correct. He hasn't. Uh, but now that the new trial has been denied, I mean, like we always felt like they were holding on to Eddie for some reason. Right. With the murder trial, just to keep him unsatisfied. So now now what do they have? You know? And like a lot of Eddie's charges are going to be Alex's word against Eddie, and that's a wash. I mean, so I I don't know. Um, they've always been very weak. I would I would love to know what actually happened, what went down there, and how it was connected to drugs exactly. Um, I want to know what sled found in Alex's car on the day of the shooting because I've heard some things about that. We, I would like to know that they're getting to the bottom of breaking up whatever drug source was down there, wouldn't you? Well, we're told that there's several cartels operating in the low country. So which one was Alex supposedly operating with? We don't know. And what do you call a cartel? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> so, well, got a lot. We got a lot going on. We do. We sure do. <laughs> so with that said, guys, a great show as always. Cups down. Cups down, guys. Cups down, everybody. Cup of Justice is a Luna Shark production created by me, Mandy Matney, and co-hosted by journalist Liz Farrell and attorney Eric Bland. Learn more about our mission and membership at lunasharkmedia.com. Interruptions provided by Luna and Joe Pesky. Uh -huh.